Hello, and welcome to the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. For today's episode, we took the opportunity to talk to a few of our KPMG tax leaders and get their insights on the topic of ESG and specifically the rise of ESG on the business agenda and the implications for the tax department. Joining me are Mike Hayes, leader of climate change and decarbonisation at KPMG Impact. Mike is also the global head of renewables for KPMG. Alongside Mike is Luke Helderman, who is the global tax leader of KPMG Impact. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Mike, if I could start with you. Over recent years, we've seen many developments and and lots of interactions on ESG and sustainability. Perhaps you could start by providing us with a general overview of ESG. ESG has started to dominate the political, social and economic landscape. And I've grown up with ESG. I got into renewables about 20 years ago. But over the last 10 years, suddenly the debate shifted and it shifted very much towards ESG. And actually, originally, we also talk about responsible investment, which we hear less about these days. But to my mind, ESG has suffered a little bit from a definitional crisis. Nobody's quite sure exactly what it means. But for me, it's very simple. ESG is about creating a better world. And that works right throughout all levels of society. But here in KPMG, we think about it from an investor and an investee perspective. This very much started off as an investor question. But in recent years, and particularly just before COVID and right throughout COVID, ESG has entered the corporate boardroom. And it is now a dominating discussion point, if not one of the key issues being discussed in boardrooms around the world. The big, big part of the ESG agenda historically has been the climate question, but it's not just a climate question today. As we all know, the social question has entered into the framework as well. But when I talk to clients about ESG, I really try to find out what is on their agenda. Is it the climate question? Is it the social question? Is it the G part? You know, it it varies. What is very clear is companies can no longer ignore the ESG question. They are getting pressure from all different types of stakeholders, from their own employees, from their customers, and most of all, from their investors. It is very, very real today. And so, Mike, what are some of the challenges of ESG? There are a lot of challenges on ESG. I'm going to just identify two of them. The first one is the whole issue of reporting on ESG performance. As we all know, there are a multitude of different metrics around the world to report on ESG. And that is a real issue because without standardised reporting, it's very hard to measure progress. And the second thing is, it's great to have an ESG ambition, it's great to talk about it, but actually delivering on it is a real problem. Let me give you one example. In recent times, we've seen the rise of net zero commitments to help the climate change issue across the world, and particularly from, I think, to something like 2,000 major global corporations have now made net zero commitments. The problem is it's wanting to make a commitment, and it's great to show the ambition, but delivering on that is a real challenge. So for me, they are probably the two biggest challenges that we're facing in the industry today. And Mike, their challenges that global corporates are facing. How has KPMG responded to this agenda and these challenges? KPMG began to get very concerned about this. We could see very early on that the world was shifting, that it wasn't just about profit. It was about other things. It was about, it was about growth and trust um, and, and prosperity and most of all about purpose. So we had to think about how are we going to respond as an organisation. So earlier this year, we set up an organisation within KPMG called KPMG Impact. And this is really bringing together all the different parts of KPMG that are actually trying to address this agenda throughout the world. We've split it into five pillars. The first pillar is ESG and sustainability. The second one is economic and social development. We have a pillar on sustainable finance. 
we've a pillar on measurement and reporting right across the other pillars and last but not least and the one that i'm involved in is climate change and decarbonization where we're really trying to bring together the best of our people across the world to actually look at these issues and think about the solutions we can bring to clients we recognize that tax policy and tax has a crucial role to play across the esg agenda so luke that brings us to talk about tax What's the relevance for tax from the challenges and the issues that Mike shared with us? A very relevant question indeed, and a very, let's say, uh, important one for corporates. Uh, As an international tax partner, I work with larger corporates, usually listed companies. And for many, or in fact, most of these companies, the topic that Mike mentioned uh, are relevant as well. In fact, ESG and sustainability has become very important in the strategies of these uh, companies. This also led me to the question to what extent this will become relevant for the tax function, and we will talk about that later. For some of our clients, we have uh, been involved in ESG sustainability projects, uh, just to to come to the tax uh, question that you raise. And uh, we usually do this with, uh, let's say, advisory colleagues, for instance, a project about investments in wind and solar energy in multiple jurisdictions to help the clients to look into tax grants and incentives for such investments. In another example, we got involved in energy tax issues as a consequence of investments in solar panels generating electricity for for group companies. So during the last year, when I got involved in this impact role, uh, we basically looked at what KPMG has been doing in this context of tax and ESG sustainability, and we basically developed our proposition. Uh, And of course, as the propositions mentioned by Mike, the five strategic uh, elements of of impact already existed for many years within KPMG. We basically had to inventorize what has been done in the area of tax during those years. And we have consolidated these findings in an impact uh, tax proposition. One important aspect in this context is that tax is generally accepted as a means to steer behavior and reach economic and social goals. That's what we see tax authorities do and governments do. So one could conclude that tax is important for climate change and sustainability. And for that matter, governments and multilaterals have also connected the agenda of ESG, sustainability, climate change, decarbonizations, all the topic uh, topics Mike mentioned, with the funding of significant sums of money to face also the crisis, the COVID crisis. You see the recently uh, approved EU rescue package. Tax and impact will touch on, let's say, the company supply chains as well. It will also, let's say, have an impact on their objective to use tax incentive to use certain climate change objectives. And for private invest- investors uh, to invest in some of these more riskier propositions of climate change, it definitely is important to look at the tax angle uh, as well. So we basically Uh, identified a couple of areas of attention, and I will briefly summarize those as far as tax is concerned. So looking at tax incentives for economic uh, and social goals. Uh, Another aspect is uh, sustainable finance, as Mike mentioned, and the tax impact of uh, of that. Uh, Looking into the climate risk uh, aspects, in particular, how will supply chains change and the tax impact of those changes. Uh, We will be looking into tax policies and the transparency reporting, as uh, Mike alluded to, which is becoming more and more important for global corporates as well. And obviously, we try to embed all of those tax initiatives into our responsible tax uh, agenda. Stakeholders will want to have a good understanding on how 
companies behave and that is also relevant in the area of tech. So it's, it's a lot, but hopefully this answers your question. It does, Luke. Thank you. Mike, you're a corporate tax partner as well. Anything to add about the tax relevance from all these challenges and this agenda? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so I completely echo everything that Lucas said. But for me, I transitioned from being a corporate tax partner, and I still do some corporate tax, to really being heavily involved right across the renewable agenda and the climate agenda. And one thing I want to say is that tax has been at the centerpiece of the growth of the renewable energy industry from the late 1990s. And one of the reasons why I became so involved in the industry was the importance of tax. And let me explain what is different about the renewable energy industry than other sectors is the sheer volume of transactions. The number of times that small companies sell shares and reinvest into new projects all the time is absolutely phenomenal. And the reality is, is that if all of those capital transactions were taxed at each step of the way, the industry would have died a death in the very early days. The availability of the participation exemption, the availability of you know zero withholding tax on dividends has been absolutely instrumental to the growth of the industry. The third one um, Luke mentioned is the role of tax incentivization. We have a long way to go. We are now the renewable piece, and it's only one part, but it's probably the most commoditized piece of the climate agenda is very much moving into the developing world and particularly in, in regions like ASPAC and LATAM. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of the ability to tax does not restrict the movement of capital. This, this industry on renewables, which I discovered very early on, it's not just about the actual technology and the natural resource, it's about capital. The ability to move capital is critical. If you cannot do that, this industry doesn't work full stop, and tax is one of the great inhibitors. So we have seen in some developing countries unnecessary withholding taxes, and the implication of that is that it doesn't collect more tax revenue for the local jurisdiction. What it does is it says to investors, let's go elsewhere where we can get, get our capital in and get it repatriated efficiently. There is a bigger agenda at play here, which is the climate agenda, and tax has to work for that agenda and not act as a barrier. So that for me is a, is a critical part of this. I also just, if I could, just touch on the second thing that Luke said, which was on, on sustainable finance. You know, there is a world going on where we talk about sustainable financing. The reality is, is that if we're going to get to this net zero future by whatever year, we're talking now in the hundreds of trillions of dollars of investment capital. That is a phenomenal challenge. And I can boil it down to at a very simple level to an individual corporate that wants to decarbonize. They can talk about the decarbonization solutions all day long. What they sometimes forget to talk about is how these are going to be financed. And what has actually happened is a global green financing market has erupted and actually tax has a huge role to play because you cannot do financial products without thinking about the tax implications. So as we think about the growth of the green finance market, we also think about the role of tax policy in facilitating and enabling that green finance market. Luke, can we now turn our attention to international developments in the area of tax and, and tax policy? You're based in the Netherlands, so I wonder if you could give us a summary of what the EU is proposing in its Green Deal. The EU Green Deal as such, uh, though, already existed before the COVID crisis, but now it has been connected to the agenda of ESG and sustainability. And at this point, some elements of the Green Deal involve the European Union looking at a couple of very concrete initiatives mainly in the area of managing the emission of greenhouse gases, uh, uh, carbon as, as an example. And for each of these, the European Commission has uh, asked society to address consultations and KPMG has been involved in these consultation responses uh, as well. I just wanted to mention uh, the, the three uh, directives and areas that we have been looking into just 
to explain the context, and it's largely around, indeed, the decarbonization agenda. The first one that uh, was focused on is the energy tax directive. And as a start, let's say, respondents strongly agreed that's the outcome of the consultation process with the following three, let's say, objectives the EU has. The EU plans to increase the climate ambition uh, by 2030, make the EU economy and society climate neutral by 2050, and the EU Green Deal uh, zero pollution ambition for the greenhouse uh, gases uh, environment. So I think all the respondents was the conclusion uh, very much agreed to that objective. Uh, priorities of the energy tax directives are a revision of the ETD as such, taking into account greenhouse gas emissions and, and the, let's say, definition of tariffs for that matter. Uh, introducing its incentives also for alternative uh, energy sources such as clean hydrogen and and uh, sustainable biofuels. So all those, let's say, initiatives should be supported one way or the other with also some tax uh, initiatives. And one outcome of the consultation is that there shouldn't be an exception for any industries. The current discussions still exist at this point on, on aviation. So that's the energy tax directive. The second one, and that's definitely, an, I would say, a very important one that uh, that will or may emerge in, in the near future, is the carbon border adjustment mechanism. The CBAM, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, um, would be related to the pricing of carbon within the EU, which for some sectors is regulated through the current EU emissions trading system. And the mechanism of CBAM would aim to ensure an equivalent carbon cost between imports and goods produced in the EU to avoid, let's say, production relocation from high ambition jurisdictions to low ambition jurisdictions. So basically making sure that the objectives of the EU are safeguarded also, let's say, vis-a-vis uh, -vis other countries outside the EU. Um, the CBAM as such, when the consultation was done and we got the response from uh, the European Commission on the input on the, on the consultation, appears to be let's say justifiable as mentioned by the respondents and all respondents do not see, let's say it as an unsurmountable burden on the industry. That's what you would expect, right? That they clearly see it as additional complexity and administrative hassle, but clearly most respondents uh, very much supported the direction this is, uh, this is going. Um, most respondents seem to believe that carbon leakage is a real problem. Uh, and the CBAM can address that carbon leakage and the consumption of low carbon products in the EU and encourage the use of low carbon technologies. Again, an incentive that should be given to companies that uh, start using those, uh, those technologies. So this is just a bit of, let's say, the output that we got from the consultation process. The intention is for the European Commission to take any further decisions in the course of this year, uh, around summer, and I think that the current objective is to have this uh, uh, Im implemented uh, towards uh, the 1st of January 2023. And many discussions take place on, on the topic. And maybe as a third, I mentioned uh, consultation on which we were involved, and I already alluded to the emission trading system. Uh, obviously, the implementation of that one uh, and the complexity, complexity and the administrative burden and the relationship with the Energy tax directive and CBAM needs to be taken into account uh, because these three directives will clearly interact uh, with each other. 
there will have to be a critical look at the, the general regulations on carbon taxes, uh, the ETS model as it currently uh, uh, exists, um, but also, again, uh, technology that must be developed and applied to achieve sustainable production will be supported also with the emission trading system and the other uh, initiatives taken. So just the three to uh, to highlight. So, Mike, coming back to you, with the EU developing CBAM and, and the US developing a similar provision referred to as a carbon adjustment fee, what do you think the implications of these new border taxes will be on the way that companies think about their supply chains? I think the CBAM is a very, very interesting development, and I think it's a game changer. Firstly, the European Union has said that to fund its Green Deal, which is something in the region of 750 billion euros, it sees the CBAM as one of the principal sources of revenue. And that should tell you something. That should tell you just how seriously they're taking this. This is very real. They are determined to introduce this. And my concern, actually, is that importers and exporters, depending on which side of the fence you're on, haven't yet fully absorbed the risk, the quantum of taxes and the likelihood of its introduction yet. And I think there's a shock coming to the system. But as Lucas pointed out, it's not just the, the EU. And the reality is other countries have to respond to this. We are entering into a period in which what do you call it, carbon tax, what do you call it, CBAM, what do you use, ETS, a whole lot of different expressions. Carbon has now entered budgetary policy. So historically, when governments around the world set budgets, they thought about economic factors, they thought about social factors, and inevitably, they, talk, they talk, talked about or considered political factors. They now have to think about carbon as well. And carbon is actually going to be a real determining factor as we set tax policy around the world. So for the regions of ASPAC who are exporting into the European Union initially, I think it's going to become a reality in the US. It's actually going to change the way supply chains operate around the world because this is actually a new cost that has to be factored into it. Um, I want to just expand and put CBAM, if I could just for a minute or two, into a wider context. Because as the world thinks about the climate agenda, one of the defining topics and themes that we're going to see in 2021 is around supply chain. And what I mean by that is that companies who want to achieve a net zero ambition by 2040, 2050, they cannot do that under the rules unless there are supply chains, but their upstream and downstream supply chains also decarbonize. So what's actually going to happen is supply chains, whatever part you play in it, are going to come under increasing pressure as it is to decarbonize. The reality now is when you then load CBAM on top of that, it's just one more pressure on supply chains. Plus, we're already seeing a new feature on supply chains, which is the desire to reduce supply chains. In other words, transport is one of the biggest emitters of carbon that we know. Um, and to reduce transportation costs, people are now starting to rethink their supply chains simply, not from a cost perspective, but simply from a carbon perspective. So the reality is that there's, there's a lot of headwinds. CBAM is really just the beginning of something new. We're going to see many more measures from different governments around the world. And as we're saying, tax is now becoming a real policy enabler on the carbon and climate agenda. And there is no getting away from that. So CBAM is the beginning. It is In itself, it's very serious. But my message and my advice, please take carbon into account in your investment policy in the future. One of my sort of standard pieces of advice I give to clients who are making investment decisions, please factor in the likelihood of future carbon taxes. Do not forget just how important it is because it will make a difference to your investment decision. That's how serious and how real this is. The direction of travel is more carbon taxes, more carbon measures such as CBAM, and we are not going to be able to ignore it. 
Luke, the EU is the largest customs union in the world and January 2023 is not far away from the shock that Mike described. How are you seeing your clients prepare themselves for this potential shock and do you think they fully understand what it might imply for them? Yeah, and and maybe to to elaborate a bit on what Mike said and and Mike indeed uh, made the comment about the impact on supply chain as a consequence of, for instance, CBAM and the carbon uh, uh, issues that may emerge around the globe. Uh, the question in in that case is really indeed to what extent will this have an impact on the supply chains and when i talk to clients uh, not only let's say esg sustainability will have an impact on the supply chains clearly also the current covid crisis that uh, that is happening around the globe so i see many of my clients indeed talking about more focus on local again so less let's say centralization of certain processes and definitely in the context of also ESG and decarbonization, as Mike mentioned, the impact of those regulations, of those developments will clearly have an impact on the supply chain as well. And that basically in, involves tax departments in these discussions as well, where tax departments today may argue that uh, carbon taxes are not really their a point of attention because these, uh, let's say, tax uh, areas may lie with the business, with the business operators, a bit l- comparable uh, with maybe uh, a custom duty set that usually sits in the business in terms of the execution, that, that may be the same with uh, carbon taxes that, uh, that emerges. But clearly the impact on the supply chain will have uh, huge direct tax implications. And tax directors, in my view, need to understand that impact and and get involved on those uh, discussions. Like Mike also mentioned, uh, the impact on financing of all of this will become more important. So also in the context of M&A, for instance, tax departments will, uh, let's say, get involved on these discussions as well. And when I speak to, let's say, my clients, uh, many understand that implication but they still, in my view, need to make up their minds on how this will be embedded within, let's say, the group at large, so within the tax function or within the business. But I think they all understand that it will have an impact and that they need to get involved on the conversation. Great. Thank you, Luke. Mike, as we come to the end of this podcast, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? In summary, I think what I've liked about this session is we've brought out some of the key tax issues that tax departments need to think about as we think about the broader ESG and climate agenda. It's very simple. This is going in one direction only. You know, if you think there's a lot of issues on the table today on this agenda, you have seen nothing yet. This agenda is not going away. It's going to get bigger and bigger. That was clear from the Davos discussions over a week ago, and it's very much going to be an important topic as we head to COP26 in Glasgow in November of this year. So expect more to follow. Luke? Any final thoughts? You can really see that uh, that Mike is very passionate about this topic and he's already involved in this uh, area for, for longer periods. And to be honest, I've learned a lot uh, during the last half a year I got involved in, in this discussion from, from Mike and I fully agree to his comment that uh, this will have a major impact and uh, tax departments, tax function need to be prepared. Mike, Luke, that's great. It's been a really interesting discussion. On behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you both for joining us on the podcast today. Let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at tax at kpmg.com. And we'd be delighted to hear from you if you have any suggestions for future episodes in this series. Thanks for listening.